0: Welcome to Answers from the Attic, the podcast where we explore the unasked questions about today's headlines to empower you for the future. I'm your host, Agni Sharma. Let's take a look through the attic. Crisis. It's a concept we've been familiar with throughout our time one we've always been told to plan for financially. But now, we find ourselves on the brink of a changing world with an entirely uncertain future. How do we go about financial planning? And do we reevaluate our investing strategies? Good morning, everybody. We've all heard the term, money makes the world go round. But now, we're seeing the flip side. As the world has been stopped in its tracks, we are more uncertain than ever about money matters. Terms like bankruptcy, layoffs, and the ever so ominous and daunting recession weigh on our minds and our bank accounts. As the economy unravels, we see banks bolstering their rainy day funds, and an already hugely indebted government shell out an amount more than that debt itself. stay afloat. These tectonic movements in the financial world are fueled by a simple understanding. I need money in my pocket because I need to buy things and live a sustained healthy life. While large financial and legislative institutions hope that their money moves have the right trickle-down effect for all of us, helping us continue in turn contributing to society in a manner that preserves their jobs, What can we do at a micro level to see some semblance of personal gain and ensure that we are better poised for a now entirely unknown future? In the investing realm, we hear whispers of shorting the market or capitalizing on the hyper growth of certain types of products, those that are thriving in this lockdown. All this to generate significant returns for ourselves. Simultaneously, We ponder the hypothetical benefits of decreasing interest rates, which would give us easier access to the set of assets that we assume will keep us safe going forward. But the bottom line is that we just don't know. There's no clear picture of what the future will look like or whether typical approaches to financial wellness continue to be safe. We just witnessed extreme swings in markets, resulting in what could possibly be the shortest bear market ever recorded. The only thing that is certain is that the metal of our financial safety nets is being tested. And with that in mind, I'd like to welcome you to this new era that boasts an old slogan, cash is king. Liquidity has always been a tool for safety, and we're once again getting to a point where it seems as though stuffing stacks under your pillow is better than pretty much any other option. Although cash has always been a store of value, this notion is more complicated now than ever before. How we can leverage cash or liquefy assets depends on our age bracket, our employment status, and how close to retirement we are, as well as our respective degrees of risk aversion. A contributor to Forbes recently called for calm heads Suggesting we stick with our existing investing process, but given a global event unlike any we've experienced, is it okay to take last resort measures, such as pulling out of retirement funds and long-term savings? Or if you're not investing as is, is it the time to change the way you think? Traditionally, we've been conditioned to a save versus spend mindset that off late has turned to the tune of, how much should I save and how much should I invest? Let's change the language a bit and focus on the latter half, investing. Investing is typically understood as a risk-reward ratio that is tied to an exhausting list of exogenous factors that require active monitoring. This idea of risk and reward, however, tends to guide most of our thinking, especially around anything financial. Hence, saving, at least in the traditional way we go about it, is ultimately investing, just drawn out over such a long period that we have virtually no risk guaranteeing some gain in the long run a sort of set and forget mindset that means we'll one day be solvent enough to live out our time we've seen a consistent pattern save for your future by making guaranteed investments build assets as soon as possible how early you buy a house is still largely considered a measure of success and shrewd management of finances Why? We've just discussed that there are no guarantees anymore. Just like with any financial instruments, real estate can be risky, with huge fluctuations in value. Thus, mortgages can sometimes be crippling. So, what does this mean for us? How should we look to use our money right now? Usually, the answer to that question seems to depend on our tax bracket striking an ideal balance between our short and long-term investments can be seen as a luxury, more accessible with more zeros at the end of a paycheck. After all, any investment seems less risky if it constitutes a smaller portion of overall wealth or can be covered by a smaller portion of our periodic income. But even if our ability to curate our investments changes with income and wealth, should our mindset around investing differ? How should we approach the situation during this pandemic and continue to in a changing future? Let's take a look at how it's being done now and get some advice from our guest after the break.
1: Welcome back, everybody. We're joined today by Gustavo Perez. Gustavo, could you take a second to introduce yourself?
2: Absolutely. So my name is Gustavo. I've been Working at a wealth management firm for the past four years, uh, we serve high net worth clients and we're focused on how they invest their wealth and also other things related to their financial life, but mostly focused on, on investments. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that today.
1: Gustavo, thanks for joining us. Now, from your experience in wealth management, could you tell us a little bit about how people have traditionally looked at investing and what the typical behaviors
2: have been? Yeah, you know, so people think about investing in in different ways. I think people normally think of investing as a a type of saving um, and keeping their money safe for the future. And the future can look differently for different types of people. You can be investing for the next 50 years, for the next 30, for the next 20 years. And that's going to shape your behavior and the kind of things that you invest in. And a lot of investing in my experience is a little bit goal-based. For our clients, their goals are not as simple as putting their kids through college, but they might be transferring wealth to the next generation. And so when people think about investing, they think, what is my goal? What is my objective? And how can I get there through investing? And how can I use my money in an efficient way? So that's just a an overview of what we see. We always start from what's your goal? Where do you want to go? And uh, how can we help you get there? And there's many inputs that go into this, so, but that's the beginning of the framework.
1: Thanks for that intro. Now, you mentioned you work with a lot of, so to speak, wealthier clients. Have you noticed any difference in the way people approach investing based on their level of income or their level of wealth?
2: Yes and no. I, th- I think the, the reason yes is because you have more opportunities when you have more capital, you can invest in certain things that have a minimum investment, for example. So certain private equity funds, you can only get in if you have a million dollars or more. So you have, you have more access if you have more capital. But the flip side is that the same principles apply. The way you would invest if you have a $100 million portfolio and the way you would invest a $10,000 portfolio are actually pretty similar. You actually think about diversifying risk in similar ways, You would try to think of upside in similar ways. You might have a more limited option set and you would have to work with that. But at the same time, a lot of the same principles, a lot of the way that you would think about your investments, think about your goal, think about how to reach that goal. There would be tons of parallels there.
1: So wealth can be understood as how big of a safety net we have. But it's an interesting point you bring up that regardless of the size of our safety net, there is some commonality in our approach to investing specifically around this idea of we invest with a goal in mind in light of this pandemic in light of this new investment climate that's impacting all of us how do you see this approach to a goal changing
2: it's it's interesting question i think i think the approach to a goal won't change i think we'll still invest with a certain goal in mind and i think if you have these goals that you have in the future They may be personal or financial that you're trying to achieve. I think even with this pandemic, you would still have the same goals. You would still want to achieve certain things. What will change is how much capital you have right now to achieve that goal. So you might have to make some changes onto your investing, into how aggressive you are, into what kind of instruments you're investing to, to make sure that you get to that goal in the time frame you want. So so I think that's what this pandemic will change and what any crisis or any big devaluation in markets changes. All of a sudden, you have an unexpected drop in your assets. And, you know, we live in a capitalist society, so a lot of personal goals, you'll still need money to achieve those personal goals. I think having that smaller pool of capital forces you to make certain decisions about how do you want to use that efficiently to make sure you achieve that goal in the future in, in whatever time frame you have set yourself. So I think that's an interesting thing that this brings. Obviously, it's a negative thing, but it's, it forces you to make certain decisions and it forces you to think really critically about every dollar you have invested or planning to invest.
1: It seems to boil down to a question of how we use what money we have. So what do you see as the ideal channels of investing for us right now?
2: Well, so I think before I start an answer, I'm gonna caveat it with the fact that there's a lot of different ways to look at investment. There's a lot of different beliefs and ideas out there. And obviously there's no single answer that this is the way to do it. But I personally believe in, in passive investing and goal-oriented investing. And so we talked a little bit about goal-oriented investing, but what that means is you have certain asset allocation targets. You want a certain percentage of equity, a certain percentage of bonds, a certain percentage of real estate and so forth in your portfolio. And you stick through that in in good times and in bad times. And right now it would be a bad time. And so my answer would be nothing should change. You should invest now the same way you were investing before this pandemic. Um, If you had a certain amount of equity in your portfolio, don't pull out, don't stay in cash, continue to stay invested. And there's some very interesting data points there that, that try to prove that hypothesis. For example, in the past 15 years, If you had invested $10,000 in the S&P 500, that would be $30,000 today. However, if you miss the 10 best days, if you miss the 10 best days of the market, that would only be $16,000. Okay, so that's the 10 best days over 15 years. You obviously wouldn't handpick the 10 best days and not be invested in the market. So it's not necessarily an anecdotal example. However, a lot of the best days happen right after the worst days. So in times of crisis is when you have a lot of big positive returns. April was the best month the S&P has had since 1987. So if you don't stay invested, you you miss out on a lot of that upside that comes after some of this downside. And so I think, you know, the channels of investing, the instruments that we should be looking at now should not change and it's very tempting to change because psychologically, you know, when you see your 401k going down every day or when you see your investment account going down every day, you want to do something about it. And and we really have to fight that psychological impulse and continue to stay invested. And over the long term, that has shown to prove pretty reliable returns. If you had asked someone you want to put ten thousand dollars in the market, and in fifteen years you'd have thirty thousand, a lot of people will take that deal. And and that's a deal that you know we've. It's not astronomical. It's it's not an absurd return. It's not something you see when you buy Facebook at one dollar or Amazon at one dollar. So it's. it's It's not those disproportional gains, but it's a consistent, long-term, reliable gain and um, predictable in a way, too. So that's how I believe and that's how I try to think about investing, not only for the clients that we serve, but also for myself and for everyone that has a desire to, to put some money to work in the market.
1: Now, we've come to a point where uncertainty is at its highest. We have no clarity into an investment climate that's traditionally been known for being a bit shaky on its own. So how do we go forward to ensure that we are being the most informed investors? How do we stay on top of a situation that we know nothing about?
2: I think that's a great question. And I think it's it's really important for people to understand what does the market think? So to be a very informed investor, let's say, for example, you think, I don't want to invest in the markets right now because I think that this pandemic will take another year for things to get back to normal. Well, one of the things that's interesting about the market is the market prices in future risks. So the market might be thinking it's going to take another year for this pandemic to play out, or it might be thinking it's going to take another two years. So to be an informed investor, you, you have to in a lot of ways understand what is the market pricing in. Is the consensus that this pandemic will take another six months or is the consensus that the pandemic will take another year? So that you understand what risks are you are you subjecting yourself to? So for example, if the market thinks the pandemic will last another year and the pandemic lasts two years, well likely there will be some devaluation and you would lose some money uh, because the markets were wrong. They were overly optimistic. Obviously that also works on the flip side. And so it's important to be an investor to really understand what, what kind of risks are you taking and what global macroeconomic events would make your portfolio have a positive versus negative return. And once you have that information, you can use a little bit of your, your expertise on certain matters or you can use a little bit of even your gut feeling, uh, even if it's not to an extreme degree to say, you know, I really think that this, for example, that this pandemic will be over sooner than we think and sooner than the market thinks. So let me be a little bit more aggressive and try to make a little bit of additional return uh, because of that. That's why investing is so interesting because there's no right answer. We're all pricing these risks in the future. Uh, we're all putting certain timelines on certain things, and even the people that are moving the market, they don't really know what will happen. And as an investor, you have the opportunity to look at that consensus and and make certain decisions based on that. So that that's what I would say is something you can do is is to try to really understand what types of risks is the market pricing in, and where do I stand on that, and how can I use that information to, to build a portfolio and to achieve my goal and to get to where I want to get in 10, 15, 20, 50 years, whatever that may be.
1: So we understand that valuation and markets is often tied to speculation. Speculation that in itself is around headlines and a lot of the events that happen around us every day. Should we realize that there's a distinction between the two? Is there even a distinction between the two? What's your perspective
2: on that relationship? So it's interesting. I think, I think the economy and, and the markets are things that a lot of people think is one and the same, but they really aren't. There has been plenty of quarters where you had economic shrinkage, but you had positive return on the markets. And that goes back to that issue that we talked about earlier about what is priced in versus what is not priced in. If the market is thinking that the next quarter will have negative 15% economic growth, but we only had negative 10, markets can skyrocket. And you might look at headline news and say economy shrunk, Uh, you know, there's huge unemployment numbers. But if those numbers are better than the market expectation, you can still have a lot of market growth, even with negative returns. They don't always move in lockstep. So it's important to be able to remove yourself from a lot of the negative headlines. You look at all the information coming in and you might have a very negative, fearful reaction to it and, and think that all the money that's invested or everything that you have in your 401k might be going down, but that might not be the case. And so it's, it's important to separate those things and not to act impulsively by pulling all your money out of the market or doing something like that, because you can be doing it yourself a disservice. You can actually be cutting your return by half over 15 years, as we talked about, going from having $30,000 at the end of that to having $16,000, because there was an impulsive reaction there. It's important to separate those things. And it's important to, to understand they're not one and the same and that they might move in different directions. And so don't get too hung up on, on the news, don't get too hung up on numbers released by the government and so forth, because they might not always have the immediate reaction that you expect.
1: Gustavo, thanks so much for your
2: input and joining us today. Thank you for having me. I I really enjoyed the conversation.
0: To everyone who tuned in today, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Answers from the Attic is a privately run podcast. The theme music created by Kevin McLeod and purchased from the Incompetech website. Sound effects from zapsplash.com. Check the link in description website information.